0: Hello and welcome to It's God Accept It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtle through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're stepping outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe for a suitably festive trip into the multiverse for a look at Have Yourself a Morlock Little Xmas, an episode of Fox's animated X-Men series, originally seen on 23rd December 1995. Technically, this places it somewhere between S.H.I.E.L.D. starting tests on Ava Starr's abilities and Gregory Salinger winning a photography contest, and, you guessed it, there's absolutely no crossover with either of them. I mean, as if there was going to be. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I thought of Have Yourself a Morlock Little Xmas shortly. Meanwhile, joining me to give his thoughts on Have Yourself a Morlock Little Xmas is journalist Mick Wright. Mick, where can people find
1: you? They can find me on Broken Bottle Boy on Twitter, at Broken Bottle Boy. That's where to find all my
0: things. Okay, so before we go any further, I can't believe I'm asking this. Mick, what happens in Have Yourself a Morlock Little Xmas?
1: Right, well, well,
0: what happens is
1: it's the night before Christmas and all around the X-Men Mansion. People are stirring. Rogue, Jubilee, and the ever-annoying Scott Summers are decorating a tree. (laughs) Gambit and Jean Grey are trying to cook dinner. Gambit wants to add spices to everything. Jean is very unhappy about this. And in his lab, Beast is trying to make a Christmas beverage which does not go very well because he ends up making it explode and gets covered in cranberry glaze. Wolverine is just generally annoyed about the whole concept of Christmas but is persuaded by Jubilee to go with her and Storm into New York to do Christmas shopping but events take a turn there when they encounter the Morlocks who are trying to steal an ambulance to get medical supplies to help a sickening Morlock and in the end turns out that Wolverine's magic blood is the answer as it so often is
0: (laughs) It's the true spirit of Christmas but we already knew what you knew about Wolverine slash Logan and the X-Men by extension from our chat about Logan. So Mick, how much did you think about the Morlocks before you originally saw this? An okay amount,
1: well ish, from comics, but I mean when I originally saw this, it's 1995 I was 11 years old and I was a big fan of the X-Men cartoon series so I did see it pretty much when it went out in the UK I think it was probably a while after the original December 23rd release date because I'm not sure when it would have gone out in the UK, possibly the next year even Yeah, a fair bit, fair bit They're a funny bunch. It's interesting obviously because you get some there is some crossover for us anyway with the logan film and Morlocks, which is quite interesting.
0: Well, the really weird thing for me is that, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, the Morlocks are not entirely pleasant in this, but they seem like a happy, clappy, jolly, sing-along bunch to me, in contrast to what I knew of the Morlocks, because there's that thing about, there's a very weird story here, in that Marvel normally, when they do Christmas things, it's quite good-natured. It's things like Tony Stark delivering medical supplies to the third world, or, you know, Spider-Man and the Green Goblin both end up in Santa outfits, giving out And there's a kind of, this is only because it's Christmas, I'll get you next time, undertone to it. All kinds of weird things, like there was a human torch strip called Have Yourself a Sandman Little Christmas, where it turned out the Sandman was actually going to see his elderly mother and not plotting a crime. There was the Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus parody with Ultron, (laughs) Beckers believe, you know, it's normally quite upbeat. And, you know, in the MCU itself, we've got Iron Man 3. It's one of the, you know, it's very dramatic and action-packed, but it's one of the more light-hearted films, really. And also, right at the moment, Hawkeye is on, which is really cleverly using kind of the Christmas trappings apart of the action, apart of the storyline. But yeah. I first discovered the Morlocks when there was a one-off early 80s comic in which Spider-Man and Kitty Pride teamed up. It was part of a series of one-shots where two different Different universes would collide, sort of. And normally, you know, they complemented each other quite well. I mean, there was a Captain Britain, Captain America one, that sort of thing, but in this one, you've got the really dark Macabre world of the X-Men, and you've got Spider-Man's more kind of, you know, jolly, child-friendly in a sense, world, and they do not gel at all. Because the storyline is that the Morlocks, who were drawn kind of like, you know, like a Republican's idea of deranged punks, you know, like sort of 40-year-old yeah. men with Mohicans and big nose rings, kidnap some children who are playing a game called, quote, Sewers and Serpents, with the intention of eating them. And it's kind of that, it's meshing those two worlds, and it's really quite unpleasant. And obviously, Kitty and Spider-Man team up to, you know, rescue them. But the whole thing, these, I don't want to say these are nasty taste in your mouth, but it quite does. So, I had always, because I was maybe about seven when I read that, and I found the Morlocks really sinister. And then things like this, they're a bit more like, I mean, I actually think they were deliberately based on this, they're more like the Mutants from Future Arm who live under the paving stones, where they're unpleasant looking and they're unpleasant acting, but they're not quite as bad as that. And it's really weird to see the Morlocks in this kind of context for me.
1: Yeah, it's true. And also, you know, in a crossover to our Logan episode, Caliban's are Morlocks, but of course that doesn't really come up in Logan. But yeah, they are, they're interesting, but they, they had previously turned up in the series at various points. There'd been one where Callisto had tried to make scott into her husband which you know didn't go well <laughs> storm then became the leader of the morlocks which has come up he's referencing this episode but in a way that if you haven't seen a previous episode wouldn't make a great deal of sense because wolverine says to storm well you're meant to look after these people but storm had let callisto stay and be the leader of the morlocks in her stead anyway And there's an episode where they're captured and sent as slaves to genosha the mutant nation and then there's an episode with them where where they're attacked by Lady Deathstrike, and then the X Men help them. So this is sort of their, their this is like their fourth, I think, fourth or fifth episode in this series that they turn up in. And yet he's really weird. It's really weird. It's a very grim Christmas episode about a sick child needing a blood transfusion.
0: <laughs> Well, there is. I've not got a great history with the X-Men and Christmas because there was the story about, have you ever read the X-Men strip Demon, I assume you have, that's set at yeah. Christmas? Where I assume a lot of people listening won't have read it, but basically it's only a year or two after Alien came out. And it's kind of tongue-in-cheek based on that because Kitty's left on her own in the mansion at Christmas and then Ungari Demon turns up and it basically tells us the plot of Alien. She actually just referenced that in the kind of knowing way, you know, kind of, oh my God, this is just like that film. And it actually looks a bit like the Xenomorph as well. But, the thing is, you can read that either as, you know, a really exciting action story, you know, referencing what was going on in the cinema at that point, or you can see it, as my parents did, as a story about a teenage girl being terrorised by a monster without motives, and so you can have it taken off you and never given back to you, which is what (laughs) happened to me. I was really annoyed about that, because there was a Wonder Man backup strip that I'd not read as well. Oh, no. And I don't know if it actually came out here at Christmas, but it ruined Christmas for me anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the weird thing about this episode is that it's very disjointed, because you have the start sort of tableaus of the various things that are going on in the mansion, and they really go heavy on the Christmas music. Like, every scene has Christmas music in it. Don't they sing as well? They, they sing do. some carols
0: not very well.
1: Yeah, Wolverine refuses to sing. <laughs> The male part of it. And then there's the whole Christmas shopping element, and then suddenly we're in, you know, we're in the sewers with the Morlocks. And it's just, you've got to think when they're pitching this story, it goes very not Christmas very quickly. (laughs) sort of the first third like the first act is fully christmas and then it's just really dark for the rest of it and yeah and then they end up yeah i guess the fact that i mean while leech is getting better they show them the christmas tree and stuff but i always feel like well they don't you know give the morlocks some presents but they never sort of
0: think maybe the morlocks shouldn't have to live in the sewers at all you know that doesn't really come up no (laughs) no is something a big kind of issue with the whole presence of the morlocks in the general marvel universe is there are weirder looking characters roaming the surface with no issues yeah exactly and i like there
1: are members of the x-men who are weirder looking you what know beast beast is a giant <laughs> blue furry man but that's totally cool you know but these morlocks are a bit green a bit sort of pasty and it's like no you've got you must remain in your sewer we'll give you some presents
0: and we let you look at a Christmas tree then get back in the sewer. And there's the whole thing about it. Callisto is, in this animated version, is drawn a bit differently to, you know, her general look in the comics, which is that kind of sort of tank-girly, dissolute, post-industrial look. Here, she's a bit more like a pissed-off Winona Rider. Yeah, exactly. Pissed-off Winona Rider with an eye patch.
1: The bit that I think is quite disturbing from a kid's perspective is the flashback to Leech in the hospital, where his powers are so out of control that he's, like, thrown out of the hospital, so they can't help him. It's just like, I don't know, as a kid, you sort of, I feel like there's a good chance that you will empathise a lot with Leech. It's this poor kid. This poor, sick kid, you know. And the hospital won't help him.
0: Yeah, it really is very strange, because like you say, it does start with that jolly, jokey tone, and there's a lot to, like, make you quite unhappy later on in it. It's hardly full of seasonal cheer.
1: Yeah, that's the thing.
0: It's just, this is
1: one of those ones where the season's really good, you know, the series is really good. I always loved this series. But this is one of these episodes where I just think, I don't understand how you'd ever have pitched this. Like, why you'd have gone, oh, what we really need is sort of medical trauma. Nothing says Christmas like horrific medical trauma and sewers. But apparently, apparently this is what they were going for.
0: The tonal shift is very odd. And it's quite unfortunate as well, in That I would say, in a sense, it's is probably the most prominent episode now of the animated X-Men. It's the one that gets picked out on list because, you know, how many other Christmas episodes are there? But the thing is, if you look at the rest of the series, there's all kinds of things like they do adaptations of things like Days of Future Past and Secret Wars. Some very unusual characters and storylines turn up in it. There's the whole thing about, at that point, it's weird to think this was probably the highest that Marvel thought they could aim. I mean, this cartoon more or less led directly to the Fox films, which, you know, for better or worse, some of them were better than others, but they did kind of show that you could do a big block busting film with Marvel characters who weren't the whole core Spider-Man. But it was a kind of culmination of because they've been experimenting since the late 70s with producing animations under their control. You know, there were things like the Spider-Woman cartoon, which I loved when I was young. It's a bit of a slog to watch now, but I can't tell you how much I loved that. Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends, which a lot of people remember fondly. The Fantastic Four one, where I've got to come down hard on this. People mock that because of the whole, you know, the human wasn't for rights reasons. So they had Herbie the robot instead and people say oh my god wasn't that awful he was a bit like scrappy do now at the time I remember it coming on children's ITV and just thinking because there was a UK Fantastic Four at that point with reprints of the it was the late 70s stuff so it wasn't you know simple storylines mm. it was all the act and, heart and the stuff and when the Shaper of the Worlds trapped them in that weird kind of 50s fantasy world where they got attacked by flying James Dean's things like that <laughs> and they had that really poignant ending where kind of the fantasy world was shattered by a load of of black characters turned up, some of whom apparently I didn't know this at the time were supposed to be younger versions of black characters in Marvel Comics appeared and said you've been getting away with this for too long, we're taking you into the 60s. Points towards the civil rights thing. You know, so there are all these thought-provoking and weird stories going on and I just loved seeing these characters that I was reading on the TV. I saw no issue with it and it annoys me a bit that it gets treated like that now. But yeah, the X-Men was they finally, finally got that absolutely right and it's still very highly regarded now I think.
1: Well, the episodes I remember, because I vaguely remembered this, but, like, when I rewatched it, I couldn't remember the plot, and I rewatched it for this. The episodes I actually remember are all Sentinels ones. Like, the Sentinels were very big in my mind. The way they animated them in this series, and episodes where the X-Men are being pursued by the Sentinels are the ones that stick in my mind. And it did feel daringly dark for me for a show that was going out on, you know, BBC One. For a kids' TV show, it felt, like, daringly dark to me at the time. That it could be quite scary. You know, it felt like there was actual jeopardy in it a lot of times. And also, the characters are quite adult. Their interrelationships feel quite adult. It doesn't feel kind of watered down for kids. But then, you look at an episode like this, and it's just like, it's not a good episode of this show. It's categorically not a good episode. It doesn't hang together. It doesn't really hang together. And actually, I think it kind of lacks incident, really. Because you sort of, a few things happen. I don't really think it has a very good narrative through line. Like, Probably the biggest incident is them thinking that the mansion is being attacked, but actually it's Beast exploding his non-alcoholic Christmas (laughs) beverage, which also doesn't make a huge lot of sense because initially he's making this non-alcoholic beer and then when it explodes, he's covered in cranberry glaze. And I thought, I don't know where, you know, what is he making cranberry beer? And also, isn't Beast a bit of a party animal? Beast fully would not be making (laughs) non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> but just for the purposes of this being a kid's show. And they really put that in there, like, so heavy-handedly. Mm, it's very good, despite being non-alcoholic. Just like, oh, OK. Yeah, I get the point. Drinking is bad. Don't do it, kids. Honestly, you know, you're half the show. Nothing happens. And then you've got that, you know, the big moment with the ambulance appearing at Rockefeller Center skating rink. Also, I thought it was quite interesting to me that Wolverine doesn't want to sing Christmas song, really doesn't want to go Christmas shopping, but then is seen quite happily doing ice skating, which I feel is like unlikely. And he was quite good at it as well. I think he'd be quite good at it, but I don't think he'd willingly do it
0: the all with is Ma-lo Tis the season to, to be jolly, <coughs> Uh, perhaps you two better take over from here. Well, at least you tried. Better than old Grumpus over there. Wolverine, come over and help us. I've never had a Christmas with you before. Yeah,
1: uh, you ain't missin' nothing.
0: Well, you could sing the guy's part on Jingle Bells. Cyclops is, uh, having his problems.
1: Kid, the day you catch me singing Jingle Bells is the day pigs fly.
0: Aw, come on. Don't let him bring you down, sugar. Old Logan's just never been one for
1: holidays. It's fun he doesn't like. No use ruining ours. Wow. I never had a star like this. This is your first Christmas as an X-Man, and we mean to make it extra special.
0: It already is. It's odd that the treatment of Wolfram, particularly in this episode, is basically just grumpy old man. He's like Victor Meldrew with massive atomatium claws.
1: Yeah, but he's unable to upset Jubilee because she's a sweet girl and he just has to, she can just trick him into doing things. It's interesting in the arc of this series as well, of course, because it's like early on in Jubilee being part of the team, so there's that going on. But it does, it feels like, basically, I think what we've got here really is, and I don't know for sure because I've not read the background necessarily on Production, but it feels to me that you know, someone in the network said we need a Christmas episode, and so this was created. But it, you know, it's a solution looking for a problem, really. Uh, Yeah,
0: the presence of in this series as a whole, Jubilee and Gambit, as you say, is interesting because I feel their prominence has fallen a little since then. They didn't play a very big role in the movie series at all.
1: I loved Gambit when I was a kid, I loved Gambit, but re watching it, he's so. So annoying. He's so annoying in the cartoon. I used to love him. I thought he was brilliant when I was a kid and now I just think oh god, him with his really like cheesy accent and <laughs> they have to really ladle on the catchphrases. I'm not surprised Gene Grey is annoyed with him trying to make <laughs> breakfast dinner with him. With his insistence on cajuning up everything. And his powers are really cool. He's a really interesting character. You're right, Jubilee's been underused, definitely. But I think in the live action films there's a lot of things where characters powers are kind of smushed together or characters don't get used to the level they should be kind of thought it took them a long time for Beast to be used really properly you know but I guess it comes as well from the fact that there's no consistency across those films generally
0: well no there isn't speaking of consistency it has literally just been announced that Disney Plus are going to do X-Men 97 which is essentially what would have happened had the series not been cancelled in 1997 carrying on for that and the reaction to that has been really positive. It's been really nice to see that. I think that's
1: a great idea. This was a great series. I mean, I would not recommend anyone to start with this episode or linger (laughs) on it for too long. But overall, it's good like you say, because they do adaptations of a lot of good arcs in it. And I've often felt, I wished some of the films had looked back at this a little more to understand the dynamics of the team and how you tell these stories a little bit. Because I think it got a bit wayward in the filmic universe sometimes because they forgot what the point of the x-men films was also often i felt like one of the good things about the animated series is that they don't allow wolverine to just be the guy all the time and to totally dominate whereas i think often in the films there's this sense of like well wolverine's the box office you know and i was slightly had a problem with that because i think the x-men is good because it's a team and you need the team dynamics and it is the kind of the family you choose rather than the family you are born with situation Situation, that's what's interesting about x-men as opposed to fantastic four which is you know the nuclear family emphasis on the nuclear
0: so just as a closing thought i mean we've established this isn't a particularly festive episode really but what are your thoughts first of all is iron man three a christmas film and secondly do you think hawkeye is doing well with using the usual christmas tropes to its own advantage
1: is iron man three a christmas film yeah Of course it's a Christmas film. Partly because Shane Black has this history of making films that are Christmas films, or setting films at Christmas, so he kind of brought, as a director he made that happen, but also, it's just Christmas all over it, It's Christmas all over it, and then, and there's the young boy who's kind of wayward from his family, and loads of it feels very Christmas, I mean, I think probably in the third act, it loses that slightly once they get to the mansion it becomes less of a Christmas film but the arc is kind of Christmassy and I think, and Hawkeye, I think is doing amazingly with it, I, I think it's great because I think what it's doing that series I think is going to be a series that we will want to watch in the future as a Christmas almost a Christmas tradition I think the the fact that you know the whole Hawkeye can't get back for Christmas element of it is brilliant and you know every episode has some aspect of Christmasness to it particularly that latest one where you know he and Kate are going to have their Christmas movie marathon and stuff and there's always a weird kind of home alone vibe of them being in a house that is and, you know, that's sort of an empty, meant to be empty, but they're in it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of echoes of other Christmas things in it. I think Hawkeye is fantastic, and I think it's definitely... I thought that the Winter Soldier series was okay, but this series is very good.
0: Okay, there's only one thing left for me to ask now. Mick, if you had to distribute presents all across the world in one night, which Marvel characters' abilities would you use to do that with? <laughs> um, well, Doctor Strange, obviously. <laughs> Just, like, open up a load of portals and throw the presents through. Yeah, but you could do, like, I don't know, you could be Shang-Chi and, like, kick them <laughs> very far, <laughs> I don't know how that would work. I think you just have
1: to have any one of them that have... Like, if we're sticking on an X-Men line, get Jean Grey. I don't know the Phoenix, if the Phoenix was feeling in a festive mood rather than a <laughs> planet-destroying mood. You know, anyone, who's, anyone who has the sort of magic abilities is probably the way to go with it, isn't it? I mean, Iron Man, you know, could distribute them across, I guess, the continental United States in one evening, maybe. Maybe get all the Iron
0: Legion to do it for him. Oh, no, I've just thought who the most suitable character would be. By your criteria, pip the troll. Yes. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Sorry, I smell so bad. <laughs> there you go. That is the answer. We're just practical here. I don't know how to work this to a festive way. Mick, thank you, and the Christmas excelsior. Excelsior to you. Oh, Kate. you did better than me. <laughs> <laughs> if you've enjoyed this. Don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good, Except It Sucks, and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me, at timworthington.org. OK, well, there's only one thing left for me to ask now. Mick, if you had to... Choose- one sec. <laughs> I don't
1: know what happened there. I think Siri thought that you were asking it a question. No, go ahead.